Welcome, everyone, to It Simply Isn't Done, the Sermon Recap Podcast. I'm Reverend Jess Davenport. And I am Reverend Barry Petrucci. We are the pastors at Chapel Hill Church. And together we are the, the Irreverent Reverends. And uh, like the name would suggest, this podcast is the message from Sunday, where we share the scripture and then the sermon, and uh, we meet you back for some reflection on that message. There will be an opportunity to, if you look down in the notes, you will see a place where you can go directly to the reflection. If you already listened to the scripture uh, on the sermon, or if you just want to skip them all together and uh, just hear what we have to think about it, um, you can go there. We're happy you're here. We are indeed. Hey, Easter people. The Monday after Easter. And we are recording today for the reflection, the sermon recap to go out tomorrow. So yesterday was Easter. Both Barry and I preached. We did. We preached on a text from John 11. Yeah, we went off script Mm -hmm. entirely. And um, it's, it's when Jesus brings Lazarus back to life. And we are excited um, to dig into both of those scriptures and our sermons with you. Um, So we'll catch you after for the reflection. We are here to mock death. Amen. Amen. Welcome. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. You could go to a lot of churches and you could hear the gospel from Luke or from John about the resurrection of Jesus. You can even get it from the Gospel of Matthew. But here, you get Pastor Barry and Pastor Jess dividing things up and skipping the entirety of the Bible readings on Jesus' resurrection. Hang on. Pray with me. We're grateful, O God. For our time together, may this set of words become your word in the hearing of your people by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Christ. Amen. So the scripture is John, the 11th chapter, and my part of it is verses 1 through 27. Did I mention there's actually two sermons? That's the other thing you won't get just anywhere. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was, was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, 
are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Thomas, who was called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go so that we might die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Lazarus, excuse me, was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of God. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Your eyes do not deceive you. It is true. It is Easter, and we are not reading the resurrection of Jesus texts from the scriptures. Jess and I wanted to consider something different. We wanted to consider something different from those traditional Easter Sunday texts. We wanted to revisit a scripture that may have a very familiar ring to it. Jesus is on the far side of the Jordan in what today is the country of Jordan. He's over there when he gets the message from his dear friends Martha and Mary that their brother was very sick. Their brother, who was Lazarus, was Jesus' beloved friend. But Jesus, in discussing the news with his disciples, reassured them and maybe reassured himself that this was not sickness unto death. So he did not need to rush, and he didn't. He tarried for two days. And who doesn't like an opportunity to say tarried? <laughs> he waits around for two days. It's weird, right? Well, maybe. But the belief was common in the ancient Near East that the soul stayed in proximity to the body for at least, for at least one, with at least one angel guardian for two days before being escorted to the divine light of eternity. Obviously, a tension is set up between Jesus wanting to go immediately to care for his friend and sisters and waiting because he senses the opportunity for a sign. A sign is John's language for miracle because John understood the miracle to be pointing beyond itself to a greater truth that God is revealing. It's an opportunity that God might be glorified or recognized in this very death. 
The second scene for this first part of John 11 happens when Martha hears that Jesus is finally on the road to their little village of Bethany outside of Jerusalem. Martha runs out to meet him. Lord, I know that if you had been here, my brother would still be alive, but I still know that God will come through for you if you just ask. Jesus says that Lazarus will rise, and Martha thinks he means that he's talking about the, the end of times, the resurrection in the last day. Their emotions and their speech cross over each other, right? Jesus breathes. Jesus breathes, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe will never die. Do you believe this? Such drama, right? It begins with a sickness that goes untreated and becomes a sickness unto death indeed. And the community, the community wraps around that sickness and wraps around that death, holds the sisters in care and confidence. Together they represent the community of faith that is family. We've been there, right? We've experienced that community, that family gathering around in sickness and in death, and that's what's going on. It's familiar to us. We rejoice when illnesses are cured or even treated in such a way that life goes on even for now, even for a while, just a little longer. We have somewhat less experience, though, with the wonder of modern medicine to induce unconscious state, even coma, so that all the energies of the body can be focused on the healing of the ill or the injured person. Books and movies that go to bestsellers, have invited us into the wonder of those who actually died and lived, those who, whose all heart activity has ceased, sometimes brain activity is flattened. If all that is too much, most of us get time each day in which we enter into sleep. And we use the expression, oh, I was dead to the world. Yeah. We know what it is to go to that place where we are in a place of unknowing, not really gone, but not fully here, wondering if we will rise again in the morning, and so we pray, if I should die before I wake. Jesus is pushing for a greater sign than our rising up after sleep. He takes this setting to tell Martha that his is God with her, that this is God with her, using I am. He's echoing God's self-identification to Moses. Remember at the burning bush, Moses says, who shall I say sent me to Pharaoh? And, and the burning bush says, just tell Pharaoh, I am. Yahweh, just say I am. So Jesus echoes this again, I am. Happens all through John, I am the resurrection. This setting, this occasion, this death, I am. We cannot do a celebration of life without without holding the mortal reality that this life has an expiration date. And so we begin with a dead Lazarus. We don't know how old he was. We don't know what his illness might have been. We know, we know what we all know. When one we love takes ill, we gather worried and do everything we can to comfort and heal. We hope beyond hope that the end will be something different. And we do whatever it takes, whatever it costs to get answers that bring positive results, i.e. those positive results are often kicking the expiration date down the road just a little bit more because it is not a question of if, but it is a question of when for every last one of us. 
We've been in a season where we come face to face with this truth of mortality. Had Jesus been there, Lazarus would not have died, at least right then. At least right then. See, Jesus had demonstrated his healing ministry, his signs and wonders of fixing the body for a time, for now. So even if the centurion's daughter lives for a time, it's not forever. Jesus did not end mortality. Here, though, Jesus waits and forces Lazarus to wait and forces his loved ones to wait and forces the community to wait. And the wait went through the sleep of dire illness to the tomb of death. It is the point at which the divine meets the merely mortal. I invite us to pause as we consider our own human relationship with these bodies with illness, with expiration dates, to consider all that God in God's creative activity might design to die in this world, that something new might emerge. What God might design to die so that something new might emerge. We talk about it being their time. We talk about it that way when it seems that a death is good, reasonable, after a long or a well-lived life. Might God not want us to consider that things once held dear also need to die? Even when it seems too quick, fields go to seed that something new might emerge. That's a good thing, a good thing that if we were not patient, we would not see or know that it is true. Might it also be true that God calls us to face truth in putting down injustices and wasteful human propensities toward war, toward, toward oppression, toward isolation, toward misrepresentation of persons? Would it not also be true that those have times to die? You, O oh mortal, know what in our lives and in our world need to die, that something might be given growth in the garden of God's original intent. Perhaps. Perhaps this is a part of the meaning of the church's creed, moving Jesus from being buried to descending to hell. Jesus goes to hell to go to the places of misused human will and claimed renewal and bring that back to life. Perhaps places of death that can feel like pieces of hell are necessary for us to confront as God works in us and through us for something like Something like the clattering of new life when bone comes to bone and sinew to sinew and muscle to muscle, as just preached a few weeks ago. This is the truth that we face in death. Amen. All right, y'all. Scripture part two. <laughs> We pick up our story in John. <laughs> when she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come back to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in her house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly to go out, and they went with her. They followed her because they she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, 
and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and there was a stone lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were bound with strips of cloth, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. You know, for me, it's hard to get past the visceral parts of this story. You know, we have Jesus weeping, being disturbed. That's really moving. But if I'm being honest with you, the first thing I think about um, in this miracle is the smell. <laughs> you can judge me if you want. I have a very sensitive nose, okay? <laughs> and if you were here a few weeks ago, and if you have a sensitive nose, you might have noticed a funky smell about the church, okay? Uh, if you worked here, you would have absolutely noticed it. There were nine days of a mysterious odor. It started kind of musty, but within a few days it was clear the odor was deaf. We were worried some critter climbed somewhere and expired. And it was this weird situation as staff, like this is a big church. We were going around like bloodhounds in every room, like <laughs> trying to find where something was, like drains. And then we're like, we hope we find it, but we also hope we don't find it. Who knows what this is? Ooh. Eventually, John Rorup, my personal hero, found the source. Um, it was a bag of uh, what was once fresh chicken um, that someone had accidentally left in the food pantry. Yeah, ooh is right. That smell is seared into my brain, however. A file cabinet of other smells. <laughs> right, it's, it's clear to me that in this story, Jesus, Mary, and Martha, they knew the same horrible, awful smell of death. Right, and for them, it's not from this disconnected you know, piece of poultry of which we have little attachment. Right, but this was one of their best friends, right? their brother, a dear loved one. And I think sometimes, especially on Easter, we like to think about Jesus as like the transfigured Jesus, like shiny, like resurrected, all in white, looking great. And we forget he was a human. He had all the same senses as us. All of who he was, this humanness, was wrapped up into his healing work. And that helps me on days when I think my own humanness might hold me back from what God is calling me towards. This story helps me. 
And that's not the only place we can find resonance between these two stories, because we all experience times when by accident or on purpose, someone leaves something that we have to deal with. Sometimes it's so entirely out of our control, but we have to be responsible for how we react and for how we show up in the face of it, right? The death of a loved one, trauma, accidents, illness. When we lose jobs, when we say hurtful words, we have emotional scars and grief, sometimes those just get left. And, and we're left doing the work of trying to figure out where is this all coming from and how do I make it right? I've been thinking about that a lot as we are rounding out a little over three years of the pandemic, right? For the last few years, reasonably so, we've had our heads down a bit, right? We've been appropriately cautious, but friends, it's hard to part and parcel out in what areas we are cautious, in what areas we are resigned. And many of us have withdrawn in more ways than we expected, emotionally, energetically, especially regarding our communal life together. Some of us are just now dipping our toes back in and considering that this just might be whatever our new normal is. You know, these last um, six weeks of Lent, we've been journeying through a message series called Picture This. It was a reframing of how we usually see Lent rather than a penitent time to capitulate on how awful we are. We wanted to use Lent as a time to remember and to dream and imagine what a future with God might look like. What is God calling us towards? Can we picture it? Can we picture the future? In order to picture a future, in order to believe, we have to look up a little bit and start considering what is even possible. We have to hope. And I think we've been a bit shy to do that because hoping is risky. Hoping is scary. It is vulnerable. It is much easier to be resigned and say, well, things aren't going to get better. I don't know what to do here. I'm going to take care of me and mine, but things are not going to get better. That's an emotionally safer bet. But friends, that is not our story. According to our story, the glory of God is rather unexpected and anything but resigned. And here's the truth of that, friends. This kind of hope, it's not pie in the sky, generic hope that's out there that we can't talk about in real ways. Hope is a discipline. Hope is a practice. And friends, it is needed. I'm not saying it is easy. I'm not saying it'll come to us quickly, but it is needed. If we wholeheartedly believe the prayer that Jesus taught us, that we are to help make earth as it is in heaven, then hope has got to be our posture. It has to be our way of being. And here's why. We can't meaningfully tackle homelessness in Kalamazoo unless we believe it's possible there's a solution out there. Can we believe, can we hope in that? We can't solve the public health crisis of gun violence so our kids can go to school without fearing a mass shooter unless we believe it is possible there is a solution, unless we hope there is a solution. We cannot work towards ending white supremacy and racism such that black and brown neighbors can thrive unless we believe it is possible to do so. We cannot create a world where gender and sexual orientation don't limit one's lifespan unless we believe that world is possible. Friends, we need hope. 
It is not pie in the sky. It is not just a cute word. It is our story. It is our story. And here's the thing. You might be like me. When faced with a conundrum like this scripture, you might look at the smelly practicalities first and say, I don't know. I don't know about this. But here's the thing. The real point of the story is that Jesus, our God, finds the most unexpected ways to restore, heal, and find new life. Not only that, God uses us right here, us, smelly, grumpy, cautious, beautiful, imperfect, optimistic us. We are the vessels God has chosen to work with. So dear ones, as we move forward together with God calling us into a future where earth resembles paradise, if you find yourself faltering a bit, struggling a bit, I know I will, be bolstered by the words in this scripture of Jesus' voice ringing out, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? It is simple, but it is not easy. Yet it is our calling. And we gather together today especially to remember that this is our story, that God makes a way for new life out of what seems impossible. So today we praise God for being just who God is, making new ways in the world, and we pray that we might find the practice and posture of this relentless, outrageous hope. Amen and amen. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. So Barry, you kicked it off with dead. 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 <laughs> dead. Yeah. Oh God, he's dead. What was your what you know? What was I trying to say? What was your main point? Dead. <laughs> it was dead. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we chose to do the Lazarus text, which um yeah, it's kind of a familiar text to a lot of people, if not even in the church, but culturally. You know, Jesus uh, pulls pulls Lazarus out of the uh, out of the tomb. But before that, it's the it's the whole family turmoil of illness and uh, leading to death, and the really strange tale about Jesus uh, not not responding right away and yeah. wanting to make use of this death as a way to to glorify or or to make. I mean, literally, it's about glorifying. It's about making God's face known, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so somehow through all of this, uh, God's face will be made known. So that, that my part of it all was, um, to, I understood it to be setting us up to understand that, that death is uh, our common human, human experience. We all go through this turmoil of, of illness and, um, and when we get bad news, trying to extend that because life somehow is the most important thing, even though we all know that we've got expiration dates. Mm-hmm. Unknown. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, and I think um, it is helpful to put any sort of message about hope within that context because without that, you know, it's it's cheap and it doesn't really make sense. So I think setting the scene with the understanding that um, we experience death, we experience our actual human death, we experience the loss of others and all sorts of other sorts of deaths. 
And we tend to not want to deal with that um, and not want to have to face that. But without that understanding or reality, what does hope actually mean? Yeah, and, and we often forget that once it's passed, it, it, we kind of lose everything that went around that. And we forget mm. often that in illness and in death, we are surrounded by this cloud of, of witnesses in the form of family and friends yeah. that surround us, not hopefully not with answers, but with presence, with casseroles, with yeah. with the stuff that goes into taking care of those who are um, who are enduring the illness and, and loss of someone someone that's loved. So that that's that's sort of a foreshadowing of the hope to come. Mm-hmm. And a little, even maybe even a little experience of it. What does new life look like when yep. you're wrapped in community? Um, you know, we, we experience multitudes. So having all of that happening at once is a powerful reminder of what God's presence looks like. And we see that in that story wrapped up in, you know, the person of Jesus and his interpersonal relationships. Yeah, it's interesting. You've talked about wrapped in community, wrapped up in Jesus, and the whole image of Lazarus being wrapped up yeah. uh, in these in these uh, bands and uh, bands of cloth and um, mummified, as it were. Um, so it's interesting how we, we use the, the wrapping language in a, in a variety of ways. Yeah, I wonder, so, you know, we had, we internally called these homilites. Homilites. Um, so it's not a full homily, it's a homilite. Um, and I'm curious, for, for me, it was hard to actually choose a lane right? because this is such a rich text. Yeah. So figuring out where to focus your energy, I'm wondering what else you're like, I got to cut that or if you had other rabbit holes or. Well, for one thing, you know, it's, it's Easter and it's hard not to move to the, the good news. Yeah. Um, and because I know what's going to happen in your part of the story, but you and I said, oh, we're going to divide it at this point. We're going to divide it at, at verse 27 and I'm going to deal with dead and you're going to deal with alive. Um, and it was hard to stay in that, in the dead zone. As it were. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, there were lots of places that were, would have been fascinating to go, you know, the whole, ancient Near Eastern understanding of death and dying. I, I made mention of the, the two days where the soul was uh, thought to be still wandering around with, a, with an angel uh, a, a guardian. Um, and, and that was one way to understand why, why Jesus tarried, because the soul was still, was still floating around. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that the, the soul was gone um, before he actually went. The drama. The drama. Jesus yeah. loves the drama. This is all about drama, <laughs> yeah. right? This is all about drama. And for John, uh, this, that is, is, this, yeah. is, this, is a, this is a John text. Yes. And it's big. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I knew I didn't have much time. And yep. uh, uh, so I stayed, I stayed pretty tightly focused. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have time because it was Easter week after all. <laughs> Yes, yeah, you know, coming off of multiple services in an eight-day period. Very fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so how about you? Yeah, so um, a few things. A few things I knew I wanted to incorporate. So I have just, um, as we've been doing this Lenten series, our messages, um, I have found a lot of cohesiveness in them, and the thing bubbling up in, in me was, um, you know, kind of the bit about, hope and what that actually practically looks like. I think sometimes 
we talk about hope as such a disconnected reality or we talk about it in a wishful way instead of considering that there are actual possibilities and God is presently beckoning us, begging us right now um, to engage in what God's doing. So I, there was that bit of it, like, hey, we have to actually literally imagine what's possible. Like hope it can be attached to future realities. And I know what we believe about the future affects how we act. So I think that part was, was pretty clear for me. Um, you did lightly threaten me if I did not include the chicken story. <laughs> well, it was such low-hanging fruit. Come on. Yeah. Low-hanging yes. rotten fruit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and I think, and you know, people people got there. It was, for me, that bit was a little bit hard. It's like, I know, you know, coming coming in Easter week when we're writing a lot and doing a lot, I'm like, how, how can I actually uh, tie this together? And I'm not sure if it was tied as tightly as I would ultimately want it. But I think, I think it got us there and was an interesting vehicle. Um, you know, especially because I knew you would have just finished and like, I'm, you know, I'm coming up as like the closer and I don't want to just, I didn't want to bore people off the bat. So I, <laughs> you, you did not. You did not. <laughs> You're like, okay, Barry just finished and now we have to listen to another freaking sermon. Well, I, so. I mean, I mean the thing, the thing that works, for, I think what works for, for the, for the sermon and work for me was as you said, it was a visceral mm-hmm. moment among other visceral moments. But it, but this is such a common human experience mm-hmm. uh, because we can all all identify with with the awful smells yeah. that we have smelt over time, and we can most of us connect exactly where we were when we smelt something that's not like X, Y, or Z. Yeah. So to so when you said it was a dead chicken, I mean it was a rotting chicken. Uh, everyone went oh because everybody knew. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and and look, Lazarus likely smelled worse than that. I am I am sure that's true. Um, and like for real for me, it is helpful, especially on Easter. Like, you know, there's a lot of pressure on us. And in some ways, it's like this is the easiest sermon. But also, we're in this unique position where there are folks we only see a few times a year, and. Um, so you know, my normal consideration, and I'm guessing this is true for you too. Like we consider. Um, we consider what does our community need. And then there are going to be a lot of folks who I might not know their needs, yeah. you know, cause they're not as they, they kind of come in or dip in a little bit, or that's when, that's when they connect to church and it's a gift, you know, that we get to have folks we don't normally see, but we don't always know what their needs are or where they're at because we're not as in touch with them. So there was some, I felt some anxiety or pressure sure. around what that was like um, on Easter. And um, I don't know, I, I felt, yeah, the chicken story after you were like, you got to do this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Again, Barry. <laughs> well, you know, the, the other burden we have, I mean, we have it every Sunday, but we certainly have it on the uh, the high holy days high of, holy of days. Christianity, right? Um, where people are more likely to wander in because this is what they want to try to do with their family. And, yeah. um, and we had folks yesterday who were brand new and we want them, this is a marketing opportunity to put it, Put it bluntly, we want them to know the church. We want them to to get a sense about what what they're likely to get here week to week. They yeah. cert- we certainly want them to know what our theology is, yes. and they want we want them to know something of, of the pastoral personalities. And I think they got all of that, good, <laughs> bad, or indifferent. I mean, there, there'd be no question for folks to go, you know, so that they would go, oh, I love that, or no, no, that, yeah. not for me. And that, yeah, and that is uh, valid and a, and a good way to experience that. And I do think we. Um, 
yeah, we were we were true to ourselves, and I'm I'm hopeful that folks felt that way about us also being true to you know the gospel and the story of resurrection, knowing that we were doing something um, decidedly different than most churches, not preaching a resurrection text. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's one of the things that you asked, you know, were things that uh, that I, I thought I wanted to do that we really didn't. I think we could have together made a, a clearer distinction for folks between uh, the regeneration of yeah. Lazarus and yeah. the resurrection of Jesus. What? How is that different? We really didn't get there. Um, no, nope. used it more so. I used it more so as a vehicle to yeah. talk about what had been bubbling up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't really dig into the text too much, other than, um, other than those beginning, beginning pieces. Yeah. You know, I had eight hundred seventy-seven words. I wanted to do what I could with them. <laughs> it was a long text. I mean, I, I think that the reading of the scripture was yeah. it seemed like every bit as long as our preaching. I'm sure yeah. that's not true, but it felt long. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I, um, I didn't intend to, but I got. I got a little fiery, like my voice was a little scratchy afterwards, and I had some folks comment on that. And I'm like, oh, um, so if you listened yesterday or listened, I wasn't trying to yell at you. I <laughs> yeah, so I re I I, re I always try I to re-listen so that I, I can think. Do. I want to I want it to be fresh when we have these these podcasts. I want to make sure we don't miss <laughs> anything. Um, but yeah, you you got in, you got after us. Um, hope has got to be our posture. Right, and I thought that was incredibly helpful. Um, in that, it, whatever we're, whatever it is we think we're going to do, uh, if we're not doing it from a position of hope as our as a beginning posture, um, th then then what do we think we're getting to? Yeah, uh, my language, not yours. But what, yeah. do we, what do we think we're getting to? I thought that was that was great. I thought it was the absolutely appropriate level of uh, of getting after us um, passion. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Yeah, well, I had the I had the easier the easier lift in terms of the scripture, <laughs> the homilite scripture, um, and you and I have been talking about that too. It's it is an interesting thing to consider how much resignation we've been hearing, I've been hearing from people about particular um, particular issues, and especially with some of our elders, that's been really hard because yeah. people have literally articulated like. I'm nearing the end of my life and I thought the world would be better for my yeah. grandkids. And I'm resigned to think that is not, you know, true. And I, it's, it's hard for me to speak into that other than as people of faith, um, we're allowed to have doubts and we're allowed to have moments of, of resignation. And that can't be our posture. Like that can't be our place where we feel static. And there's some, you know, there's some work we have to do to think about that and consider you know, I, I don't want to be a Pollyanna about it, and I don't want to dismiss anyone's legitimate, real fears, concerns. You know, all of that is real. And like, what does it what does it mean to have a story of resurrection if if not but believing something we can't even conceive of as possible? I think it's why we do it every year, right? I mean, it's not it's not yeah. like we don't know the story, and I think part of it is it's why we we chose this text this time because it's so easy to hear the Jesus story uh, year after year and to mm -hmm. kind of put it off to the side and wanted to get something fresh with it. It's it's an interesting thing here at Chapel Hill and it's certainly true at other churches, um, I think particularly here because we're uh, on the progressive edge of things. We have a lot of folks who have been, who have been um, 
really in in the in the world of uh, social justice and, and working, working yeah. hard uh, most of their lives doing this stuff and then coming to coming to where we are right now and seeing uh, the world in, in so many places having to battle for things that we just thought were, were basic truths about how you know what the values are that that's better it's better to have a society that's uh, for the common good than for the good of a few. I mean, that's actually being being battled right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's it's hard, and um, and it's where pastorally we really get to encourage people to take a breath and step back from what they've been doing, uh, and and let some others take up the the yoke of responsibility. Yeah, and I think too, you know, the reason we celebrate Holy Week in the way we do is a helpful reminder um, that progress in the world um, isn't linear as much as we would love it to be, you know, like we would love that. And here's where we are, you know, and we've, it's, we have some feelings about that and that's fair. It, it is, it is depressing to wake up and to hear like, Oh, with a crystal, you know, like, it, all yeah. these things, it's just like, oh, women's rights are being attacked in the same places that have paid family leave are the exact opposite states that are putting in all these abortion bans and um, every attack on trans kids. You know, it's it's a lot. It is a lot. And we're overwhelmed. Um, and that's that's a that's a fair place uh, to be and to explore. And one of the reasons we talked about grieving and actively grieving is such that we can we can get to a place where we can hear more about where God is calling us to in future. I don't know what that looks like necessarily, but... But, but part of what's clear, particularly on Easter, is that we don't do it alone. Um, Absolutely. You know, when people ask me, you know, what's the difference between between the values that you, that you espouse as a Christian and the values of good people? And I, and I say, often there aren't any, except mm-hmm. that we're clear that we don't do it alone. Um, and that, that we are not in this battle alone. And it, it, yeah. is, and it is not essentially ours. It is, it is God's battle for justice and righteousness and, and uh, mercy and, and peace. Um, and we, we get to join that and be empowered by the Spirit to, to do that which we cannot do alone. And God is um, so immensely creative. <laughs> so it's helpful because if this were just left to human, like, you know, we, we see what's going on now. So... It is um, figuring out how to how to tune in to where the spirit is calling and what the spirit is doing is is our primary, um, you know, posture. That is the posture of hope. Figuring out how to how to tune in and how to kind of lift our heads up from our clouds to yep. get there. True story. Well, hey, we had Easter. We did, and we have the dia- day after, and we podcasted it. Woohoo! Yes, and this was largely intelligible, I think. <laughs> you all can you, let, you us all know. let us know that. <laughs> we've actually heard from a few of you, so that's good. And we, we uh, as you're listening, we'd really appreciate some feedback. Yeah, we would. Well, it was good to it was good to be with you all, and I hope you had wonderful Easter's and can enjoy the rest of this uh, beautiful week if you're here in Michigan. Absolutely. Blessings. Actually, uh, Jess and I are going to be taking a planning day on Wednesday at the Hermitage. Uh, and it's going to be lovely outside and start with some breakfast and prayer. We might walk about. We might do a walkabout. I hope you can find time uh, to do the same if that's your thing. Yeah. See you next time. <laughs>